So morning, CBF. Morning, morning. Um, you know, it's such a joy to be in the midst of all of our dear ones. We want to welcome seekers. We want to welcome dear ones who are struggling with your relationship with the Lord. We want to welcome many of you who might be hurting. Maybe there are many of you who might be looking at answers of what happened in the last one week. Very sobering events of the world that's been happening this, this last week. But our greatest place that we can go to find is the Word of God, the greatest strength of our uh, lives. Last week, Raven spoke from the sermon. We hope that the care groups had good discussions from it. Um, especially our care group, we really enjoyed, you know, mining through the Word and finding of new nuggets that gives us a strong understanding of our faith. You know, today we'll look at Ephesians chapter 2, um, and our main focus will be from verses 1 to 10. Today, in today's sermon, I'll be using a few illustrations, okay? So maybe I might call volunteers from the back also. Okay, so back, center, middle, we don't know where it's going to happen. Okay, so we're going to have illustrations that is going to come up. Um, let's start with, uh, yeah. Any one of us have written love letters? Love letters. Everybody is like trying to, let's just focus, you know. Uh, husbands, wives, if you have, nudge each other. Okay. Some of, uh, some of you singles, okay, might have written, okay, might have written. Um, but love letters is a way that we express our love to one another, right? I clearly told Bella it's only to someone who you would be getting married to, okay? You can't just write love letters to everybody, right? Um, but wasn't it sweet, you know, when you're considering someone and the person writes a letter to you and you read it and you feel so good? Correct, no, Bini uncle? Yes, see, Binyankal is saying tamam. Yeah, you know, that's the way to go. And, you know, when you're expecting that letter, especially if you're in different countries, you write that letter to you and you're just waiting and eagerly waiting to open that letter and read its content, right? You know, Ephesus, um, as our brothers are taken before, you know, uh, politically it was the capital of the Roma, uh, Roman province of, uh, of Asia. Spiritually, it was a center of pagan occult worship. Morally, it was broken. It was a cesspool of wickedness. But this Ephesus became the epicenter of the powerful work of God among the Gentiles. Can you believe that? Filthy rags removed and robes of righteousness put into this church. You know, Ephesus is, um, you can, you know, some, some authors say it's like God's love letter. And we discover the tones of what grace would look like. You know, it's impossible to think that God would respond to us with such overwhelming grace, pouring out on us and sharing on us what we do not deserve. In Ephesians 1, we were introduced to our inheritance in Christ. In Ephesians 1, Pradeep took us through God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God working together for our salvation even before the foundation of this world was set. We also looked about true riches of spiritual blessing. We also spoke, Raven yesterday, last week closed on about the, the great mighty power through which Christ was raised from the dead. We have this same power within us. What a chapter, no? Ephesians 1. What a chapter. 
Let's start with an illustration as we look into chapter 2. This is nothing connected to last week. I just want to make it very clear. Someone in distress. Look at the image. Kids, I also want to encourage you to look at this image. Okay? Someone in distress. Even to the point of death. Hopeless and unable to help themselves in a crisis or in a fire that is just ravaging through. When all of a sudden, all of a sudden, a person, a hero appears with a purpose to rescue the person out of the fire. The hero pulls the person out and rescues him or her who is to the point of death, hopeless and helpless from the flames. You know, a few days later, this person, this person is rescued from the fire, awakes in a hospital bed, being largely unaware of all that had happened. At that time, a witness comes and tells this friend who is in the hospital bed about all that had happened. That witness testifies to the one what had happened, how helpless this person was, and hopeless the situation was, and how brave and self-sacrificing this hero was to rescue the person on the bed from the flames. You know, one day, probably one day, the person from the bed, once healed and recovered, he or she, would one day say concerning the hero, he saved my life. I'm grateful. I owe him everything. You know, Paul is his witness. This illustration is not mine, but I was, as, I was, as I was studying through, this was an illustration a pastor had written. That's why I wanted to mention that out very clearly. Paul is his witness. He's telling us and writes to the Gentiles and to the readers and to us as the church, the New Testament church. This letter was read, was studied, and was distributed, right? And Paul is pastorally helping us to open the eyes to understand the marvelous grace and the super abundant love of God that has been poured out upon each one of us. And he tells us about our condition, our adoption. He talks about predestination. He talks about election. All the wonderful spiritual blessings. Again, just like the witness, Paul is narrating all of this to us. Now, Paul also pastorally states that all these wonderful blessings that we have in Christ Jesus is not because we earned it. Not because we had the merit for it. It is just by His grace. Just by His grace. And he's also praying that our eyes would be open to the greatness, not of God alone, but the greatness of God's love. And we should walk in them. Let's go back again to the illustration. We'll be visiting this illustration thrice today. This is the second visit. You know the one who's on the hospital bed? The person, he or she wakes up largely unaware that there was, he or she understands there was a rescue that happened, but largely is unaware about the extreme situation in which he or she was rescued from. He or she appreciates it, but cannot fathom or understand or how that rescue happened and the extent of the marvelous efforts that led to the rescue. And many of us are like that, Right? We spend time in a state like this. 
in a state where we are alive in Christ and happy and thankful that we are saved. Correct? We're happy and thankful that we are saved. But can we yet fully comprehend how gracious, how merciful and how kind a God has been to us in all these actions and the severity of the situation he's rescued us from? You know, many times we realize we are we were in a bad place. Okay, correct? No? And from the bad place, we are rescued to be in a good place. But do we really understand the extremity of that 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 ugliness of that situation? Do we really fathom how much he saved us from? You know, we need to church, dear ones, you know, we we encourage as elders, we appreciate we encourage you all as fully appreciate the greatness of the grace of God that has been shown to us. Today's sermon, we're going to look into three sections. The first section is Ephesians 2, 1, 2, 3. Our position prior to reconciliation. Our position prior to reconciliation. Let's look at the first line. Okay, Verses 1 to 2a. As we look into our position, let's look into the severity of the situation, the severity of the situation, okay, and the condition of our situation, and then we will go into one more thing. So let's look at the first verse, verses 1 to 2a. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. A very sobering sentence, right? Paul is first revealing to us the severity of the situation that we were in. Helplessness of our natural condition. Our natural condition was what? Being in trespasses and sins. That's our natural condition. You know, Paul was probably reflecting about where God had saved him from. Probably, you know, the church in Ephesus was just like any one of us. They had lives, they had testimonies, they had life stories, they were normal individuals, they were no different from any one of us. Paul is here speaking to their life prior to the faith. They were in their sins and living in constant rebellion to God. You know, when you look at the word walk, you saw, you can see two words here. You were dead and in which you once walked. Simple logical question, can dead people walk? Kishore says no. Any other, can dead people walk? Physically, dead people cannot walk. Okay? Walking is often used in scripture um, as a way of life before someone was saved, right? It crossed the line, challenging God's boundaries. Our dear brothers and sisters, you and me were once dead in our trespasses and sins, and we walked in it, rebelling against God in the violation against His holy law. The severity. You got a glimpse of the severity of our situation? Now look at our, now let's look at our condition. Now we all agree that dead people cannot walk. Correct? Yep. Yes? Yep. Someone said, one of the ch children also said, yes. Yep. Though alive according to the flesh and walking in this world, we are in fact dead spiritually because of our trespasses and sins. We are like the walking dead. Spiritual death. Adam lived 930 years. Was he physically alive 930 years? Yes. Was he spiritually alive for those 930 years? 
No. Genesis 2 verse 17 says, To Adam God said, But of the tree of the knowledge of God and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Spiritual death. Because of sin and the fall of mention, mentioned across scriptures. You know, even in our natural state right now, even though we are alive in the flesh, we can be spiritually dead. And it's sad that Adam passed from a state of spiritual life to a place of spiritual death because he sinned against God. And physically death came to him later on. What Paul does not say is that in this portion is that they were not sick, wounded or weak. He does not say that they were helpless, uninformed or ignorant. He does not say that they were immoral. But Paul informs of the condition that is we are hopeless, helpless and that we had to be rescued, unable to help ourselves in any way. Church, imagine the impact of sin. Imagine the impact of sin. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. Let's look at verses 2a to 3. It says, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, wrath like, like the rest of mankind. We looked at, the, looked at the severity of our situation. We looked at the condition of our situation. And also the third, we're going to look into the spiritual deadness of our situation. Maybe I'm grammatically wrong. That's fine, but you get the point. Spiritual deadness of our situation. Now, what does it entail? How does spiritual deadness look? You know, we're all looking alive and well. But there's another question. Are we all spiritually alive? Or is there spiritual death even within us sitting over here. Let's look at four things. Those dead in sin follow the course of this world. In fact, being dead to God and to the heavenly things of God, you know, such people, right? They, they do not care for what is of the world, its values and ways. Such people who follow the course of this world, they, not, they do not love the spiritual way or the course of God, His word, His directions, or His holy law. They live contrary to God's word. Exactly opposite in course of this fallen world. The second thing that it entails as we break that verse is, they follow whom? The prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now in work of sins in the sons of disobedience. Who does this refer to? Who is the prince of the power of the air? Satan. Satan. In fact, we mentioned about this evil spirit today, right? Evil one that is Satan is the god of this world. Dear ones, remember that Satan is not God or he is a God. He is nothing. He is a defeated, 
being. Satan is created being, but an angel who has fallen. You know, Paul refers to him as God of this world because if people do not honor God, now listen to this carefully, if people do not honor God as God, then who do they honor? Satan. If people, if kids and each one of us do not honor God as God, that means you are honoring Satan. Scripture teaches that either we have God as Lord or you can choose to have the evil one as your Lord. And we've been seeing the, the effects of people who have chosen the latter, right? You know, evil takes in different forms. Is evil present in our midst? Yeah? Is evil present here? It is, right? It is, it is present here. You know, some forms of evil are evident. They look dark. They look violent. They look hostile. They look spooky. But nowadays, evil looks more civilized, proper, sophisticated, and even good and spiritual on the surface. Think about it. You know, I just want to, even as I was preparing, I was just praying that this would not be said of our church. Let's honor God as God. Let's look at the third, third aspect that it could entail. It says that those dead in sin live in the passions of their flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. You know, earlier on they followed the prince of the air, but now what are they doing? They are now living in sin. Saw the progression? They followed, now they are living in sin. They live for our, you know, that kind of living is living for ourselves to please the flesh, to carry out the desires of the body and mind, which is equivalent to being dead to God. And lastly, those dead in sin are by nature children of wrath. Those who are not in Christ, if there is any one of you here who's just trying on Jesus. Those of you who are not in Christ, sadly to say, this is what scripture states, you are by nature children of wrath. And that was our condition, right? It refers to the natural, innate, inborn condition due to the fall of man and sin. You know, the natural condition of mankind, according to scriptures, which we are evidently seeing is men and women are dead in their sins, worldly, obedient to the evil one, fleshly, and such people deserve the wrath of God. Church, this was our condition. When God and His mercy and grace rescued us, redeemed us, and adopted us as sons through faith in Christ Jesus. From the first verse, we saw the severity of our condition, severity of our situation, the condition of our situation. And third, we saw how spiritual deadness looks like. It's so gloomy, you know. So gloomy. But the next portion flips it. The bad news turns to good news. With the first two lines, but God. Our hero appears. But God. Yep. Verses Ephesians two to uh, Ephesians two four to six is what we're going to look at. Okay, 
you know our condition could have continued but god does not in his mercy allow us to continue that way he comes in he comes in he wants to take us out you know paul magnifies the marvelous grace of god by revealing that it was god who took the initiative first you know we were without hope unable to help ourselves but god was gracious he put himself on the line he stepped in into the flames and who is a true heroic savior jesus himself just like the illustration but sometimes when we think about god the father right god the father pretty polity touches we think of him as a very stern man correct no full beard angry you know he lifts his hand up thunder and lightning rolls this thunder in his footsteps na 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 our god is an awesome god but when we look at it we see the you know the the holiness and the majesty and the justice of god and the wrath of god right but at the same time this god the father is merciful and kind and we always have to understand there's no disunity between father god the father and god the son even pertaining to our redemption now who initiates and sends his son answer who initiates and sends his son god the god the father we learned that lovely okay and he was moved by nothing but his mercy grace and love you know if you look into john 3:16 who loved the world for god correct no for god loved the world that who gave he gave his son that whosoever believes should not perish but have eternal life if you look at the ephesians it is but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive together with christ 1 john 3:1 what so what kind of love who has given us the father has given us that we should be called whom the children of god you know the love of the father was a fundamental cause of our redemption and adoption as his children so in this in this portion right paul is trying to tell the story of how magnificent the love of god is when we as humans we think we are very lovable You know my daughters have got a thing called squishmallows. You know um squishmallows are like I don't know some stuffed toy that squish okay and you feel that that it is worthy to be loved <laughs> or they feel loved. Just a just a just a toy. Sometimes we think that we are so lovable. We think that God has loved us because we are worthy to be loved. instead god's love is so great he extends even to the unlovables like us to the children of wrath god's love is great and his mercy and his grace towards us is rich beyond our understanding he loved unlovables like us to be called his children it says these then in, in verses 5 to 6 that even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus we're now we're going to look at verses 5 to 6 we're look, going to look into a reconciliation process okay our past our present and our future our past It says 
Can men and women cause themselves to be born again? Or to be made spiritually alive? Can we, can we try ourselves to be born again? No. There's no elite qualifications. There's no pedigree. There's no credentials. There is nothing. Whichever family that you're born is the same playing field. That's what scripture teaches. Romans 4 verse 17 says that in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God is the one who gives life to the dead. God is the one who gave life into you and me and calls us into existence from things that were even not. Can you believe that? Even when Joel Nensel decided, I'm, Joel, I'm just using you as an illustration, okay? Decided that he does not want to go, does not want to even turn to God. Call God reaches out to Joel Nensel and says, that, Joel, I want you to be in existence with me. He gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that are not. God started loving us. He loved us even when we are dead in our trespasses. John 5, 24 says that Jesus says, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has passed from death into life. Dear ones, to be made alive, right? To be made alive spiritually. To be made alive spiritually, you first must be dead. Dead to every attempt to justify yourselves before God. I'll repeat that, church. To be made alive, you first must be dead dead to every attempt to justify yourselves before God. Let's look at our present situation, okay? Our past and our present from this verse. What does Paul write? He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul is clearly writing here that this is the work of God's grace towards man. There is no merit of man here. There is no man's involvement here in that grace. Our salvation, our rescue from spiritual death is God's work done for undeserving people like us. Why? Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. God does not make us spiritually alive alone. Through Jesus Christ, he makes us alive in Christ through the union with him by faith. In other words, because Christ lived, if you've believed in him, you will live. You will live. You will move from spiritual death to spiritual life, eternity with him. Isn't that amazing? If anybody you feel prompted to say an amen and a hallelujah, say that. He deserves it. Third is our future. You know, he who carries us into this glorious future? The Lord Jesus himself. It is because Christ was raised that we are raised. It is because Christ was glorified that we would be glorified. Through his finished work on the cross, he made us alive. Then he raises up and seats, up, seats us as his children in the heavenly places. Why? What does that verse say? Why? To? Yeah, okay, that's coming in the next verse, okay? Um, so that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Now, the greatest riches of God's grace is the church itself. The redeemed ones. 
forgiven and adopted sons and daughters of God, just like us, through faith in the Messiah and by virtue, the union in Him. You know, we are like trophies for God. Can you believe? Dented, broken, teeth broken, no hair, have hair, all kinds of stories, you know, He brings us as trophies and polishes up Lisa, up, polishes up Jonathan Edwin, up, polishes up Justin up and says, these are my trophies. These are my children. Let the world see my children. Let the world see the church. And he displays for all to see. Think about this. Would you and me, you know, sometimes, you know, we, sometimes I, you know, it really moves me. Sometimes we, I might meet Kohli. And I try to take a selfie with Kohli. And I think it's a big event. I might just get invited to meet the CEO of a firm. And I may take a selfie with him and think it's a big event. What kind of display case you want to be in, church? You want to be in that, in that pixelated form with a person who is physically dead and spiritually dead? Or do you want to be seen in the display case of God as a redeemed children of God? Have value, church. Have value. You know, it really moves me sometimes is that, you know, that is our greatest inheritance. To be in that display case for all creation to see that that's worth it more than that picture with Coley or with my CEO or whoever it may be. You know, Charles Spurgeon, you know, he writes, When all the saints shall be gathered home, they shall still talk and speak of the wonders of Jehovah's love in Christ Jesus. And in the golden streets they shall stand up and tell what the Lord has done for them to listening crowds of angels. We spoke about today, principalities and powers. Are you willing to be in the display case of God where he will tell the world that these are my immeasurable riches in Christ Jesus? If you're not there, aim to be there. It's worth it to be there. It's worth it to be in the trophy case of God. Remember, it's all God. It is God who raised you to the newness of life now. Because Jesus Christ is glorified at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, you will be glorified with Him soon. And not only in this present world, but all of eternity. How blessed are we, right? To earn a future and a position to be co-seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus and displayed as God's riches. You know, we looked at the severity of our situation. We looked at the condition of our situation. We looked into the spiritual deadness of our situation. And we also saw how the bad news turns good because of the immeasurable riches of His grace in Christ Jesus. But let's look at our standing now because of this reconciliation process. And that's going to be our third point and our last point. Our standing in the reconciliation. Now thirdly and last, you know, Paul again magnifies the marvelous grace of God. You know, Paul is repeating this again to the church in Ephesus in this letter because he wants us to get it. He wants us to get it. You know, he reveals that all we do in Christ, our faith, our believing, our good works led by the Holy Spirit, are they themselves prompted by the Holy Spirit? Meaning they themselves come from God. Let's look at verse 8. 
It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. For, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. Paul is very clear. Again, he says, you are saved by grace. You know, note that, that even though we are saved by grace alone, salvation is received how? By faith. Even though we are saved by grace alone, salvation is received by faith. Can I have probably one child under 10 just come up for a short illustration? A child under 10, any child under 10 can come up right away for a short illustration. Okay, let's now look at how things could change. Right now, a child under 10 could come up. Yep, a big hand for our Ethan. But hold it. Watch the illustration. Okay. A gift is about to be exchanged. And I want all my children and all of us to watch. A gift is going to be exchanged. It's presented by one and then it is received by another. So as the gift is going to be presented, Ethan never knew that this is going to happen. Okay, Nobody knew. But as a gift is going to be presented, he receives it by faith. By grace, a gift is given. Salvation is a gift and Ethan receives it by faith. You can go and sit, Ethan. That's yours. You know, how do we receive God's gift of salvation? Did Ethan qualify for this gift? Was Ethan prepared to receive this gift? He came today thinking that he would receive. No, it is by grace it has been given. And by faith he came forward. Definitely the kids are like, like wondering what's happening. Yes, but he took that step to come forward and to receive it. He received it by faith. And a gift is exchanged by the gift presented by one and then it is received by another. If there's any one of you sitting here who have not accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, accept this free gift. We receive it by faith. God showed grace and yet we are saved through faith. Verses 8 to 9 says, God showed grace yet we were saved through faith. Faith to trust in Jesus is also a gift of God. Faith to trust in Jesus is also a gift of God. It's the dimensions of God's grace. The work of salvation is God's gift. Even our faith is a gift of God. Adam Clark, who's a Christian theologian, you know, in his book, he writes about a chapter of faith and I found it so interesting. He says, listen to this clearly, okay? He says, faith seems to put the almighty power of God in the hands of men. Faith seems to put the almighty power of God in the hands of men, whereas unbelief appears to tie up even the hands of the almighty. I just pray that we would, any one of you sitting here would accept by faith such a great joy of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. We should pray. So that means we should pray for those who are yet to know him. 
John 6 verse 44 says that no one comes to me unless the Father who has sent draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Now sometimes we think that we believed, right? We believed, so we received that gift, right? You know, faith was something that arose from within us as opposed to this gift that was given from God. Then there is definitely some room for boasting. Now, Ethan can go home and tell the other kids, you know, I just won there, man, meaning, and I just got this gift. Yeah, absolutely cool. Meaning he could feel proud, right, Ethan? You could, you could. But scripture says you cannot boast. He received the gift freely, so none of us could ever boast. Sometimes people ask, no, why are you saved? How did you find Jesus? How did you become a child of God? As that question settles in, suddenly some, uh, you know, some, you know, some uh, pride comes in us. We should not be tempted to say, say, because I believed. I believed. There's no room for boasting. Brothers and sisters, salvation, grace and faith are gifts from above. So why are you saved? How did you find Jesus? How did you turn back from your evil, filthy ways to Jesus? How did you become a child of God? The only answer that we can ever say is by the grace of God alone. As we close, looking into verse 10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul further explains why there is no room for boasting in verse 10. He clearly says this, we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are created for good works in him. In fact, God prepared and was instrumental in preparing all of us even before the foundation of this world was set. Can you believe God makes something beautiful of us? I cannot even imagine, guys. I'll be honest, church. I cannot even imagine that he would take a wrecked, you know, a hopeless sinner, an unlovable sinner, and says, I want to make something beautiful out of you. In Greek, you know, workmanship, um, the word is poema. You would have heard probably Raventhor, many of our dear ones teaching here. The idea is it's a beautiful poem. He takes Simeon out. And he takes Sean out and he says, I want to make a beautiful poem out of this person's life. You know, the Jerusalem Bible translated so much beautifully. It says, a work of art. Guess what? He chooses the church to be an example of his greatest beautiful poem, the love letter of all letters ever written, a work of art so that we cannot boast in anything. That's why Paul, Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as he makes us into this work of art, he wants us to bear good fruits and good works. Good works are a valid evidence that someone is walking in the ways of God. Remember, work plays no part in all of securing salvation. But once you're a born-again believer, your good works will also, your faith and your good works will also demonstrate that. With that, we come to a conclusion. 
of this passage, encourage even our care groups to break it further up and study that portion. We're coming back to this illustration again. If there's any one of our dear ones who are seeking, who are seeking the truth, if there's anyone who is trying out Jesus, if there's any one of you who are against who God is, you know the truth, but you don't want to turn to him. This is where Paul, the witness, comes to us on our rescue bed, on our hospital bed. And I would just want to encourage all of us to close our eyes as an entire church. He comes to you and me. And those of you who are knocking and who have just rejected Jesus for whatever reason, whatever reason. And he comes and whispers into your ear and says, Dear one, you have to know this. You were dead. You were lying there helpless and lifeless as the flames drew near. And this man, Jesus, put his own life on the line to save you. In fact, he himself was touched by the flames as he dragged you out of that fire to safety. And once there, he breathed life into your lungs until you were revived. It was not by luck or chance that, that you were saved. You didn't crawl out of that situation, friend. Indeed, you could not even call out. There was no voice in you. There was no breath in you. You were just covered with filth and dirt and muck. And you were almost dead. And you were dead. But this man took the initiative at the cost of his own life. It is by grace you were, you were saved. It is not your own doing. You owe him everything because it is the gift of God. Dear one, 1 John 1 verse 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and our sins and to cleanse us from all our wickedness. Would you turn to him and admit that he is your savior? He is that ultimate hero that takes each one of us from physical death to spiritual life in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters of CBF, um, I prayerfully I'm going to read out a few statements. And as I read this out, I, ref I, I urge you to reflect as I read through these statements. Based on this passage we learned today, are you physically alive but spiritually dead? Are you physically alive but spiritually dead? Is there spiritual deadness in your spiritual walk? Because the diagnosis reveals that it could be the passions of the world, the desires of the flesh, the body and the mind. Is there spiritual deadness in your walk? Church, the redeemed, the adopted, the predestined, the elected, do we desire to honor God as God? Or at any point in our life, follow the evil one as, as your Lord? Brothers and sisters, are you and me grateful and rejoice that we are no more children of wrath, but God in his mercy and grace rescued, redeemed and adopted us as sons and daughters through faith in Christ Jesus. Church, realize that God loved unlovables like us, like you and me. How magnificent the love of God is. 
Church, do we desire to be made alive? Dear ones, do you desire to be made alive? Then first be dead. Dead to every attempt to justify yourself before God. Church, brothers and sisters, and visitors who know the Lord Jesus, do you believe that because of Jesus, you are His work of art, His workmanship. You're created for good works that you should walk in them. Church, you can open your eyes, rejoice, because Christ lives that we live. Because Christ lives that we live. A very wonderful and a humbling news that Paul delivers to the Christians here in Ephesians. Be reminded constantly that we are only alive by God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for loving Paul to be a witness to our lives, to tell the redemption story, Lord, to us. How marvelous is your grace, how magnificent is your love towards people like us. We were once to be known as children of wrath, who deserved nothing but justice and, and, and condemnation by you, by your grace and by your mercy that you found us, Lord. Lord, we pray that these, that this passage would be marinated right into our lives, that we would never think that we were worthy enough to be loved, but God would love unlovables like us. To be written as His poem, His letter, would be written as His work of art for all creation to see that we are, the church is the greatest trophy that God can ever show, the redeemed, the elected, and the adopted, Lord. We pray for any of our dear ones who are struggling in their faith. Oh Lord, we realize each one of us could not even get ourselves out of that situation. But at just at the right time, Christ died for us. You rescued us. You are our hero, Lord. That you took us from the flames. And you not only revived us, but now, Lord, because of your grace, because you allowed us, Lord, to trust in you, we call your children and soon we'll be seated with you, co-seated, co-heirs, because of our union in Christ Jesus. We would never take the gospel for granted. We pray that your word would change us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. Change us, renew us, till the day that you return. In Jesus Christ's most precious name we pray.